Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about pending home sales, inflation, and the newest crop of foreclosure fanatics. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief of HW Media, and I'm talking to Ed Messman, CEO at Rook Capital, about their shared value investment program. Ed, what sort of investors are most interested and supportive? Yeah, we're finding that there's three types of investors that are most interested. Those that care about housing affordability for this generation. Foundations, family offices are in that category. Secondly, those that care about their local communities. And those would be individuals, employers that really are concerned about their local communities. And then lastly, just overall investors that are interested in the asset class of single family owner-occupied residential. Thanks, Ed. And listeners, you can find out more at rook.capital. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is wonderful to be here. We have a lot of news. So we're recording this on Friday and we had the pending home sales report come out. Uh, Tell me what we found out there. Pending home sales look about right in in context to what we have seen uh, in the purchase application data. Of course, you know, when we had that big month to month print in the existing home sales, almost 600,000, uh, that's extremely abnormal. And uh, once we got that first jump in sales, I've kind of talked about, you know, let's let's think of housing demand in a range uh, between uh, 4.6 to 4 million on the monthly sales prints. Uh, it, it's really hard to accelerate off of a, an extreme one month print. So pr- pending home sales uh, come in a little bit like we did have six negative purchase application data reports this year. There was a period when rates went from 5.99% to 7, 10% in a very quick amount of time. It gave us three straight negative purchase application data reports. So always look out 30 to 90 days from that uh, context. And uh, it's about right. Again, my theme has always been stabilization in demand, uh, not the COVID-19 V-shape recovery. We have more positive uh, purchase application data prints since November 9th. So the pending home sales data slipping looks right in in that relationship. Its question is going out uh, later in the year if mortgage rates fall. But we're almost we're almost at the end of seasonality with purchase apps. So kind of the upfront demand that you would see each year. Uh, so it, you know even though it's we have more positive prints, it's not like you know what we saw in COVID where we just every week was positive and we were uh, pushing much higher on a year over year basis. I believe what's going to happen in the second half of 2023 is that the year over year comps are going to be so much easier that we're going to have some positive year over year prints in existing home sales and pending home sales and purchase application data just because of the waterfall dive in demand. So everything kind of looks right. I mean, I'm not one of these rebound sales uh, uh, people. So I'm trying to give people ranges to work with and just focus on the weekly data. Don't look at this as kind of a, a, a V-shape recovery, just stabilization and the data will make more sense that way. 
I like your uh, emphasis on data there. That is in stark contrast to one of the other topics I wanted to bring up today, which is our favorite foreclosure fanatics are back. What is spurring them on right now? Like they were quiet for a while and now it's like foreclosure, everything's crazy. What's going on? I believe this is actually a useful tech tactic for them. I think uh, um, pushing the big housing collapse and then all of a sudden demand stabilizing and pricing firming up. It, the, the housing bubble boys are very predictable. Sentence structure, speech patterns, so they all they all sound alike. Uh, so I, I've seen this emphasis on foreclosures, foreclosures, recession, which you know even my six recession red flags have been up since uh, August fifth. Credit channel data is not their expertise. Um, they're, these are the forbearance crash bros, by the way. Uh, so when when we see uh, credit getting worse, uh, you get a job loss recession first. And then what we call is late cycle lending. People that buy a home with a very low down payment that might not have maybe a dual household income or not a lot of reserves, uh, they would be, if they lost their jobs, that's the group that would actually be a foreclosure risk. And remember, minimum nine to 12 months, you have 30 days, you have 60 days, 90 day delinquencies, NOD filing. So it, that's a whole process. Uh, that's why I try to get people to think about forced equity sellers first, rather than supply being um, created by uh, uh, foreclosures. Uh, I think if, if somebody lost their job, they have a lot of equity, you know, they, they can do that. But in scale terms, it, it's, it's, it's nothing like 2008, because in 2008, we had rise in foreclosures and bankruptcies years before the job loss recession happened. So the foreclosure data is just working itself back up to pre-COVID-19 uh, uh, levels. And that's, that's how you, you look at credit risks, where it was very obvious back then. And just for everyone to notice, when they show you these vacant home charts, like there's 14 million vacant homes, take the chart, take the data, go back you know, uh, 10, 20 years, you'll see that the vacant data actually rose going up to the housing crash, you know, foreclosures and everything's were uh, increasing. It's been declining for years now. It's another tactic that's used to scare people. And, you know, one of the scary tactics is, you know, my, my father texts me often um, and usually he's a baby boomer. So he falls for the baby boomer traps on, on, uh, articles. And it was a housing bubble headline article. And of course my father really doesn't read any of my work or really listens to what I say for like 20 years now. But in, in, in the report he read, he said, but these people are talking about something that's going to happen 10 years from now. Like when, you know, the baby boomers die. Yes. That's right. They're they're manipulating you to they're wanting you to click the article by saying housing bubble. And you did it. Why? Because you're a baby boomer. Right? That's what you guys do. Which is why I was so offended when you were like, Oh, aren't you a baby boomer? I was like, No, I'm not. No offense to our baby boomer friends. We have many, right? But um, yeah, I'm not in that category, so thank you. But it is hilarious that your dad does not. We, we will see how much of a Gen X you are when we go on stage dancing <laughs> to the 10 year yield mortgage rate. Listen, uh, Gen X uh, has song. no, we have no reputation for dancing. I, I don't know where you got that from. Anyway, back to the point your dad doesn't read your work, which is hilarious because you're on here, you're on CNBC, you're quoted all over, um, you know, helping people, and, and then he, he falls for it. Yeah. So, what what I've seen is now a focused on foreclosures and unemployment rates, and that's going to be the increase in inventory. And let let's be honest: if you take a four decade 
two decade, 10 year inventory is not skyrocketing like people have thought about for many years. This is not just uh, uh, right now. And again, all of my work is trying to explain credit channels are different in the United States of America. It's not just for housing crash people, it's for stock traders, economists, everything. We've literally, and, and this is a point for everyone, we've gone from 2010 on to 2023 and every recession call during this period has been wrong. It, the only recession that has actually occurred is because of COVID. That was very brief. Now, my recession red flags are up, but now I'm just focusing on the internals of what will break the labor market. But just remember, we've had a historic run of really bad recession calls and really bad major supply spike theories for 14, 14 years. And in, in, in essence, it's, it's really credit. It's how credit channels, people who have a fixed debt payment, whose their total housing costs are so low to their wages... For them, and some of these people have so much equity, the, the notion of mass foreclosures when you have like 50% equity in your house, it, this, 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 this takes it to not an educated discussion, but a fanatical discussion. Um, and the foreclosure fanatics are back, but I, I actually agree with their tactics. The mass supply that people have been talking about hasn't occurred. Why is that? Because people are doing well in their homes and they're employed. Employed people don't just sell their house to be homeless. And uh, I, when when the recession happens, and this is going to be the the next stage of my economic work, we're going to highlight, you know, the differences between people who actually <clears throat> understand credit risk and how the process works compared to people that think, you know, mass hysteria, cats and dogs getting along, major supply spikes because educated people believe being homeless is a is an actual option when they're employed not going to be the case so the foreclose or the forbearance crash bros are again the same people and back then people thought forbearance itself would go to 5 million to 15 million 15 million was like you know the the peak of the distress during the housing bubble years literally from the peak of forbearance it's been going down ever since so we do these you know homage music songs to the forbearance crash bros because they whiffed. You know. It's it's at record yeah. lows. So um, so it, when a recession happens, we call late cycle lending risk, and we're going to explain this in a way that it traditionally works with with economic cycles. And this way, people get to be more informed uh, about it. But I could see what's happening. the The whole mass supply thing didn't happen this year, and we're pushing another narrative that has to create uh, clicks here. So the economic cycle is. It's it's making people mad. There's a lot of people who thought we went into recession in January of 2022, and we're still here in the labor market, even though the labor market's softening. Like a lot of the charts that I do on Twitter, look at job openings. It's not 12 million anymore. It's it's uh, it, 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 it's come down. Uh, look at uh, continuing claims. That's been rising. Continuing claims is the you know when you file for unemployment benefits and you still haven't found a job. Let's say after ten days, you're still in that category. That's up. Initial claims are still historically low, but it, that's up. So the, the labor market is cooling down in that sense. Uh, average hourly wages have been uh, uh, coming down on a year-over-year basis. But again, we got the uh, personal consumer expenditures, the the PCE report today. The Fed's tracker, it's 4.6. You know, the peak rate is already in here. And that uh, inflationary data also doesn't account for rent properly. And that'll that'll eventually over time uh, uh, filtrate itself over the next year. It's not as big in that component, uh, in that inflation report as it is for CPI. So we're just kind of 
working our way through to get uh, um, the growth rate of inflation down so the Fed could try to maybe not force two to three million people out of the uh, out of their jobs. And that would be good. I want to I want to dive into inflation a little bit more in a second, but first I don't want to le- leave the foreclosure um, conversation until you and I were talking. I think it was yesterday, the day before, about if we were going to see something like a foreclosure, like you know, those go up. What would be the first sign? Like, where would you start looking to see what's going to show the first stress there? First, it's really uh, jobless claims have to really take off. Now, remember, people get fired every single month. That's that's. It's not like nobody loses their job monthly, but. I think to me, the way to look at this data or how I look at forced equity sellers first, you'll see it in the new listings data first. That's kind of where you want to look at it. Because remember, you lose your jobs, you first get a 30-day late, then it becomes a 60-day late, then it becomes a 90-day late. Those those data lines are near all-time lows. It's not, it's not happening right now. So you want to focus on that. Then you think, well, people have a lot of equity they're going to sell. This is true. So that will pop up in the new listings data. New listings data is trending at all-time lows. Okay. So it was trending at it was been, it's been in a downtrend for many many years. So that's not happening. So you want to look at the new listings data and this is what we'll highlight, you know, uh, on, on the uh, weekly tracker. Do we see stress in the systems because when you see stress, the new listings data will just take off, right? Uh, uh, and then when you see credit stress, you'll see 30-day late, 60-day late. All these things start to take off on their own. They're pretty much all – it's funny. They're all at all-time lows, like 30-day lates, 90-day lates, new listings data. Everything that would resemble what credit stress looks like in 2023 is at all-time lows. So a lot of these people are – Pushing and hoping for the job loss recession, and I—I I, I don't blame them. I mean, this is this has been a very, very bad eleven years for this group, and the only way for them to for for them to actually get what they want, they need millions and millions of Americans to lose their jobs. Think about this: is your life every day of your life in constant negative posting? I mean, wh- how, what does that do to yourself? I mean, I listen. We should have like a mental health check group. You know, of taking doom porn posting people, and how are they like 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 functioning? How are they? How are they in real life? Because you got to be angry, right? You have to be angry. If you're not angry, and you're doing this, then you're just trolling for war. For what purpose? And that one guy, what he has like three to four million people. Then kind of, I mean, he's he's kind of a famous Listen, for, foreclosure guy. There is a reason why no one takes me on. Right? They know. If you go head to head in a live debate, I'm going to make you be a man. And that means you're going to have to forecast every single year your name, your face, your children are going to see it, your spouse is going to see it. It's not in you. As I always tell, I always tell these people, it's not in you. You don't have it in you to do this. So everyone just throws around trolling the internet. So uh, a lot of attention. And this is why this is my problem with the academic world. The academic world thinks they're being listened to. Right, we can get. I can get the top ten housing economists. Put them on a YouTube. They'll get like two hundred views. I put a doom and doom crazy person on. He'll get three million. Right, that's that's the society we live with. Some of us, not some of us. It's really just me. Says take them on, take all these people on, but do it in a fashion where everyone gets to see their face. Because Sarah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm big on reading people's body language, breathing patterns, sentence structures. Oh God, 
They're all grifters. And I can prove it. But, but also, you, you want to them to use your real name. So that's the thing. So many of these accounts, like, why are people listening to people who don't even put their if real you name? Can't you forecast, no if you are. can't forecast with your real name or think it's good. Done, yeah, finished. I right. I mean, th- I mean, that's that's th- my whole purpose is to try to teach economics in this, and uh, uh, the the next stage is going to be the the how to read foreclosure data because the forbearance one we did we wrote many papers on this um, on why forbearance was going to slowly go that move that even when the forbearance program itself was about to expire they still went there oh here we go we're going to have 1.5 million homes that's not how it works. People just do not go homeless. It's not in there. It's a, it's a process. It's a timed process. Forced equity sellers. So when that occurs, when we actually do have a job loss recession, we're gonna we're gonna categorize what data lines to look. How does it how do, how does it process itself out? And I trust me, it is not that exciting, right? I try to make it as entertaining as possible, but um, I'm here for the housing industry and for the United States of America. Right. So my job is to teach. If I teach, then all of you get to understand that these people are manipulating you. Let me do my thing. Let me do what I do best. Face to face debates. And we had a great one. Muhammad Ahmad. That was a great conversation. You know, he came here. He really believed in his. And we had this full thing. And we're sitting here. It's almost May. And none of those things happened. Right. So, um, so conversation is good, but you're going to have to get people onto live debates or else it's just not going to work. And the foreclosure fanatics are going to be the next stage of this evolution process. And uh, uh, it'll be such a focus of my work. It is going to be such a detailed focus of my work. You'll, everyone, will, everyone will understand how these cycles work with credit channels. Okay. So foreclosure fanatics, a new uh, item on our bingo card on our Logan bingo card is going to be uh, in addition to the bubble boys, their forbearance crash bros. We All American have- bears have failed since 1790. <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> they, they've all failed every single one of them. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, more about inflation. So obviously we're you know, we know that the Fed is looking at inflation. What are the numbers today? What what what's out today that's going to sway them one way or the other? You know, the the Fed has moved on from shelter inflation, so they're really looking at inflationary data three, six, twelve months, just a service inflation. And service inflation has been firm, um, and a lot of that is the change of spending from you know goods to service uh, ha- has kicked in. Uh, I, Again, I, you know, it's interesting. Jerome Powell got pranked by Russian pranksters this week. Um, they made him think he was talking to Zelensky. I saw that. That's so crazy. The Federal Reserve. Uh, uh, in any case, he he he's reaffirmed my my talking point. You know, he's talked about pain. The only way we know how to defeat inflation is for you to lose your job. He didn't say that word exactly, but that's really what he's saying. Pain. We 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 hiked rates so fast because we want a recession. They don't use the term recession, but they in this in this case they said slow growth recession. Uh, uh, we need wages to go down. Wages are usually a a when inflation picks up, wages have to compensate. You have to. It, it's not the other. It's not the other way around. You know, so it's not like wages boom and then inflation comes after. It really is. You have inflationary pressures, and again, a lot of this is supply driven. 
Um, and then all of a sudden, guess what? Wages have to compensate. So coming down, we are already seeing the wage growth, but I, I really truly believe this. If they're running 70 models here, you have to you have to have at least two to three million people lose their jobs. Uh, uh, and it's and it, I, I mean, this might be a controversial take, but I think they welcome the banking crisis and the tightening of credit because so far their recession call of this year or their unemployment rates are not working. Right. So um, uh, this would be an easy way for them to kind of, oh, here's a recession. Banking credit got tight and then they don't get blamed for it. But uh, uh, that even though he sounded very consistent, it was really clear Uh, recession, low growth, unemployment rates getting to four point five, four point seven five. That's that's the target, Uh, because if more people lose their jobs, this labor supply will become more and the wage growth will come down. Um, and that is what they believe will will destroy inflation. Of course, we've had a tight labor market for some time and the, and the headline inflation is falling on a year-over-year basis. The, uh, the adjusting to shelter inflation, if you, if you put real times, that's even falling not- noticeably. So if you actually look at it in that light, you had the growth rate of inflation fall without having a recession. And I think that hopefully that will be a discussion for the next 50 years that uh, it's not being talked about as yet because we haven't had a labor market like this where job openings were over 10 millions, but we're seeing the loosening of of the labor market, but we're not seeing it break and still the growth rate of inflation will fall. And the question is, how do you, how do you attack inflation by rate hikes? I mean, if you taxed people, that'd be a more effective way like if you raise the payroll tax, you know, if you if you made people pay their student loan payments, that maybe have a quicker velocity than just putting your head down and hiking rates. But again, they don't have the powers to do that. And and tax hikes on the general public are never going to work. Like you no politician's going to say, "We're going to raise your taxes on your on your pay stu- or, or weekly uh, paychecks uh, to fight inflation." That won't go well. So uh, that is the problematic discussion, I think, of how do you fight uh, inflation, like car chips not being there or stuff stuff like that, that, you know, there's not really things that Fed can do. Uh, effectively fighting inflation, you got to bring, you know, money down so people could spend less. So that is not popular either. But we're already seeing progress being made. Maybe it's not fast enough for everyone. But again, I've always thought, employment, more people working was good. The whole post-great financial crisis uh, argument is that the it was the weakest recovery ever. It was the weakest labor recovery ever. Uh, and everyone griped about it. Here, everyone, we, unemployment rates are under 4%. Uh, people are employed. They're, you know, they're making money. That's That, to me, binds the country together. But when you have unemployment rates and all of a sudden you can't control the second or third factor of trying to get people back to work, there becomes a problem. And I think that's that's going to be the next stage of my economic work is what does the Fed do after? I think that's more an important question for everyone. How does the Federal Reserve act when people are losing jobs? Uh, uh, what do they do? I mean, there are Fed members that say, we are, we're not even going to cut rates when, when the unemployment is going up. Or, you know, uh, I think there is where uh the focus should be now because they've already they've already hiked rates to where they want to go maybe they do one more they're they're the whole 6% fed funds thing that's not that's not happening anymore 
So what happens when we do have a job loss recession? What is their response? My personal guess is that they're hoping that bond yields will come down and mortgage rates will come down with it. Uh, and that will, the one sector of the economy that's in a recession, that'll start to improve. And then all of a sudden, residential construction uh, comes back. GDP was was uh, uh, came in light this uh, uh, this quarter, but you know uh, c- the consumption of uh, the consumer part of the GDP was really good. So you get housing back online. I mean, the thing is that they have, if they really wanted to, they could fix the spreads, and the housing market would be completely different. I mean, this is this is by choice, right? The, the the spreads are are bad by choice and they're not even talking about it because they don't want it to get better so this is a this is a decision by them uh but do they do they believe that when the next recession hits and i think they would rather prefer that because they don't want to cut rates but if the long end of the bond markets why because we do that dance right we were talking about we're all going to be dancing to the 10-year yield and 30-year mortgage rates and if that happens that takes the one sector of the economy that's in a recession out of recession, and that hopefully they can, in their minds, keep short-term rates up high enough uh, or long enough without cutting them. So, of course, the bond market's already pricing in cuts, so that becomes a difficult uh, uh, um, conversation later on. But I think that's that's where we should start getting the conversation. What do they do when the job loss recession? How do they act? Do do the spreads get better? Because honestly, Sarah. Everyone in America would be having a much different conversation um, about uh, housing when we're talking about uh, the uh, the spreads getting better. When we're talking about mortgage rates in the fives, low fives. Okay, so this is this is my question: is like you you have forecast that mortgage rates could get in the fives later in the year. The MBA is uh, pretty aggressively forecasting that they'll get down to like five point two by the end of the year, and they think we should already be at like five point seven. So we're a little bit off there. Other people are forecasting. When, if, if I'm in housing, if I'm in real estate or if I'm a mortgage, is it realistic to think we're going to be in the fives third quarter, fourth quarter? You know, for me, it's not as, it's not as much as inflation as it is the labor market. So, uh, I know a lot of people are basing their forecasts with a 10 year yield and mortgage rates on inflation. I, the market already knows inflation is peak. The bond markets already knows. So I'm for my forecast. That range, 3.21 on the 10-year yield and upside or downside and four and a quarter on the upside, that doesn't break until the uh, jobless claims break. So whenever the jobless claims data breaks, that is the only thing I've used to push that lower. Now, of course, the banking crisis is a new variable. And if credit gets tighter, that could facilitate that jobless claims. But I, that's how I've looked at it. So I'm only focusing on jobless claims data and job data, labor data, and that is already itself getting softer. And here we are today. The 10-year yields at what, 3.44%. We have what, $32 trillion in debt. We have inflation. That's high. The bond market has always said from day one, they do not believe in the 1970s inflation. If they did, we were, 10-year yield would have been much higher. Um, it's breaking lower and lower. The Gandalf line is one hell of a job. It's held this line except for one banking crisis. But when labor breaks, that should break with it. So I'm I'm more on the labor side of the equation and we're just getting softer, right? But if you get weaker data, that thing, and but the thing is that the spreads become a very good question uh, because 
I think housing gets itself out of a recession if the spreads were better. Nobody's talking about doing anything about that. I mean, our our mortgage market resembles like a third world country, just a very weak financial system. If the spreads just got better on itself and where the 10-year yield is, a lot of the dynamics change. So I just don't believe the Federal Reserve wants that. And the reason I say that is Neil Kashkari, the uh, Minnesota Fed member, he like had a panic attack when mortgage rates got to 6%. I mean, it, it goes into this, it goes into this concept, you know, that the Federal Reserve, if they think housing, they think people buying homes, people having sex, people having kids, you're gonna buy stuff for your house. Buying more stuff is bad, right? We want you to spend less. So the and and, and if you and if you do not use sex and death and economics grow up. That's a huge part of economics right here. And that's why they're very like, they're not, they don't want the spreads to get better. I mean, the last thing they want is, is more people buying homes and then more people buying stuff for their homes. That's what they, that's why housing has that multiplier impact uh, uh, um, for that. So when is the next um, jobs report that would give us some insight there? I always believe the jobless claims data is the most important data line now, even more than the job openings. Now, the jobs report itself, every at the end of the month, we get we get a new one. Whether it's 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 big or small, if the wage growth data keeps its trend, that's you know the that's what the Fed people should focus on that because that's where the Fed is focusing. Um, but the labor market will break at this point with claims every Thursday, five thirty in the morning Pacific time. And we're already seeing softening in that data line. Uh, every time there's a jobs report, I'll I'll, hi- I'll highlight that uh, data line to you. So we're we're the Fed is getting kind of what they want. The question is the soft landing. What does a soft landing means? I, I believe the Federal Reserve four point five percent unemployment rate to four point seven five percent. That's a soft landing to them. That's about you know between two to three million people losing their jobs. They they're, they have committed themselves to accepting that as a reality. Uh, the question is, what do they do after? And I think that becomes a fascinating, especially with the spreads. If spreads get better, I, I think a, a lot of bearish people have always said housing is a cycle. So until housing recovers, they're they're going to stay bearish, right? And in their models, like everyone else, it's housing permits rising, builders' confidence rising, home sales rising mortgage demand rising. Stabilization does not change that. It's just stabilizing the data. Once housing permits start to rise, I think a lot of the bearish people that I see on uh, on the networks or on social media or Wall Street firms or economists, they would change with that too. So it's data like getting stabilized and better. It's like, whoa, what are we doing here? What's happening? But if the spreads were back to normal, we might be all of us having a different conversation because we have not really broken under 6% on the headline rates and look what's happened. It's stabilized. So that, that I think that's going to be the next stage of the conversation. Well, I am looking forward to having that next stage of the conversation when it happens. Logan, thanks for joining us again. Uh, always appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. 
A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on Realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.